What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kind of Neat. Thank you for tuning in, as always. This week, I'm recording the intro before Thanksgiving, but I'm going to put it out after Thanksgiving. So the intro is going to be a week late in real time, but that's okay. I don't feel like doing all the work involved this week since it is a holiday. That said, we're not celebrating the holiday with anyone, and I hope that you guys did the same. You know, as I've mentioned, my whole family's actually in town from Alaska and from Pennsylvania. They're all up at my grandmother's house in Ojai because we were moving her into an assisted living facility, which she is now moved into and is loving. So that's nice. And so they're trying to sell the house. There are some offers in. That's good news. Trying to get rid of furniture. They're trying to pawn a lot of furniture off on me, but I already have a bunch of furniture. So unfortunately, I am not very helpful with that, though I did get a new should I say new vintage uh, mid-century modern dining table out of the deal, which is nice because I was looking at one at a local vintage furniture store. Man, this is me being very, very adult, but I was looking to buy a new table anyway. And I looked at one very similar at this place. You know, I'm just going to name it. Shout out Sunbeam Vintage. Love that furniture store. It's in Highland Park. I was looking at a table very similar to the one that I just picked up from my grandmother's house. And it was like over a thousand bucks. So I got that joint for free and it's got two leafs. So it could really fit like eight people at it pretty easy. Stoked on that. That said, you know, the whole family being there, my mom, my aunt, two uncles and a cousin, I'm not going up there because coronavirus is going hambone right now. It is going absolutely bonkers. And we just talked to my father-in-law today and said, look, sorry, we're not coming down for Thanksgiving um, out there either. So it's just going to be me and Mia and the baby in her tummy celebrating Thanksgiving at the house. That said, I'm going to make a shit ton of food. I'm, I'm making food as if we had guests. I got a spatchcock turkey. I don't know if you guys know what a spatchcock turkey is, but that's when you cut the backbone out and then break the breast so it lies flat and then it cooks in like half the time. Well, I got one of those, but it's like vacuum sealed. So I don't have to do all the work of spatchcocking it myself and brining and all that shit. So yeah, I got a spatchcock chicken doing sweet potato casserole, mac and cheese, uh, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce, stuffing. I'm just doing stovetop though. I'm lazy. But all the rest of that shit from scratch. Oh, not the cranberry sauce either. I'm, I'm lying. I'm doing like three things from scratch. We'll have leftovers well into the end of the month, I'm sure. But that's how we're going to celebrate this year. And I hope that now that you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, that you celebrate it in a similar way. The only way we're ever going to get out of this goddamn pandemic is if people stop leaving the house so fucking much. If you are going out to restaurants, stop doing that shit. Like, just pick up food. Go home. Ignore people for for a week or two. I really just think that Thanksgiving is going to escalate cases. And then I think Christmas is going to escalate cases even crazier. But man, I'm over this shit. I want to be able to travel again. I want to be able to like see my family. I would like to be able to live some sense of normalcy. So I hope everybody stayed home last week on Thanksgiving. And that's it. This week on the show, we have a good buddy of mine. Mike Eagle. Open Mike and I have known each other since 2005 easily. Um, So over 15 years. He's one of the people that I've met in this journey that I respect the most. I 
Um, his intellect is unparalleled. His observations are out of this world. His whimsy is easily accessible. You know, his work ethic is makes me so jealous. He has such a strong work ethic. I won't lie. There have been times in my life where it drives me nuts that I can't keep up with the guy. Real shit. He put out a new record uh, this year called Anime Trauma and Divorce. And it's wonderful. In my opinion, I think it might be the best out of his catalog. I have early career bias a lot of the times where I love the first thing I heard from somebody a lot. So unapologetic art rap holds a special place in my heart. And I know he, I know his diehard fans would completely disagree that that's like uh, not even in his top whatever. I'm sure. I love unapologetic art rap. That said, this one is just like he streamlined all of his best parts into an album and uh, it's a really tight. Uh, there aren't any mistakes on it, in my opinion. He's one of those artists who continues to come more into his own the more experienced he gets. It's extraordinary. I'm trying to use the word extraordinary more because I say phenomenal and amazing too much, so I want to start saying extraordinary. You know, that said, Mike and I, not just Mike and I, nobody and I are as close as I used to be with them, so I haven't seen Mike in real life since the last time that he was on the podcast in 2017 we don't talk as much as we used to but that's as well as everybody in the scene you know my my core four guys coming up as a rapper were no can do mike eagle and dumbfounded and i'm you know relatively estranged from everybody at this point that's just kind of what happens and you know mike and i talk about that right at the beginning of the podcast how People fade away from scenes and, and people start getting their own money and doing their own thing. And then you don't see the guys that you were attacking your passion with aggression and obsession and, and fervor. That word gets used a lot in this podcast. <laughs> Talking to an old friend like Mike does make me long for those friendships that I miss. But I can't say that... I would be any happier than I am right now with them, maybe. I don't know. I'm in a good spot with uh, just being very insular with my with my lady and I. And when we first got together, we tried to I tried to tell her like, "Yo, when we when we become like a couple and are married, like I don't want to be this insular couple where it's just the two of us against the world." And then COVID kind of made it that way anyway. But I don't mind it that much. I'm kind of a homebody naturally. I appreciate not having to see people too frequently. But it is nice to be able to catch up with your friends once in every three years, uh, once every album cycle on a podcast. And that's what this was with Mike. You know, he went through a lot this year in the last two years that he's kept hidden. And this album was a big kind of um, coming out about a lot of big momentous events in his life. Yeah, I just think it's a great accomplishment. And not to mention the fact that he put out probably the best podcast of the year as well and what had happened was you know he's just killing shit and so i'm stoked that he took the time to come in and kick it so without further ado here is my conversation with open mike eagle Yeah. <laughs> 
I think you and I have my most Los Angeles relationship now because even though we've known each other for 15 years, we only see each other to record podcasts. Oh, and and that's, um, that's but so no, realistically, the last time I saw you in real life was probably three years ago. Yeah, that's every one of our conversations is recorded. You're yeah, right. That's it's true. That's yeah, yeah. Whether terrible. it's one of mine or one of yours, that is awful. Yeah, you know, such is life. At least. You are someone I still get to see here because I can't say the same for some of the other people that that uh, we came up with. I, I some of them I just don't see at all anymore. True, yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, these days, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like, you know, it's 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 fair to see now that certain people we used to rock with just have altogether quit. Right? Yeah, and I'm so fascinated by like trying to figure out what day it happened. Yeah, yeah. like what was the what was the last thing they did. Was the last time they went up on stage? Like, did it fizzle out or was it a choice? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm really fascinated by that. Like, but it, it also, of course, it coincides with when, with when I lose touch with people, too. So yeah. it's it's hard to, um, it's just really hard to know. But I just think about some people who I used to see every day or every week. And we were all working towards the same thing. And you can tell that they are not working towards this particular thing anymore, but we were all doing it with such commitment and force and fervor. Obsession. Yeah. It is, it's like, it's, it's really fascinating to me to figure out what circumstances led anybody to be like, Nope. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm done. I do the same. Uh, I find it interesting that when I was, pursuing it with fervor as you just said like i would look at people who dropped out of the scene that were older than, than us then and think like Psh, they blew it mm. like oh you had a kid damn you fucked up oh you got married <laughs> and now you don't come to shows anymore damn that's that's sad bro and then i got married and i'm like oh right i'm like happy fulfilled and, right i feel i'm like oh shit this is the first time i've had like joy in my life and i don't need to go out to find it and uh, and i look back and i go oh maybe i was like an idiot in my 20s and i didn't realize these guys in their 30s who were kind of like taking a step back they had it right the whole time you but, know sometimes and this is what i even marvel more at there were a couple occasions because, you know, I didn't really start doing it till I was 30 already. Right. You know, so like I would see people come in that were 21, 22 and have some energy and be making a little noise and then they would disappear. Yeah. You know, at like 25. And I'm like, what happened? Yeah. Like, you know, but I think about that, too. Like the guys who were um, when you and I kind of met. In maybe 2005 ish, the guys who were like looked at as the kings of that scene, yeah. who were really the same age or younger than us, yep. who then it's like, man, where are they? Yeah. What are they doing now? And that's not to like, that's not any shots fired whatsoever. Not at all. Yeah, it's just like, it really seemed like a lot of people that we were around had the, the whole world in front of them. Yeah. And then it just doesn't happen. It's very fleeting. I think I was thinking more about people who were like getting on, getting on or like Project Blow. Oh, like yeah, getting, I got like, you. That's, that's originally what I was thinking about. But now, you know, because of what you said, I'm thinking about people who were like getting on in the industry. Yeah. And then the industry kind of chewed them up real fast, it seems like, which which is always, I won't, I won't, I won't say baffling to me, but like, I guess, and, and, you know, grass is always greener, right? Mm -hmm. But I always think about if I had gotten a chance at any point to sign with a Warner or a Universal or whoever, mm -hmm. they cut you a million-dollar check or whatever, and it's got all these 
stipulations. Everything, yeah, yeah, all sorts of bullshit yeah. attached to it, right? Yeah, right. Um, I always think like, well, worst case scenario, right? At least I have a little bit more of a name, I guess. And and I have had some resources, so I know I have some relationships. So I feel like I feel like the worst thing that would happen is that you would take that experience and flip it into something indie, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 always surprised by the amount of people who don't seem to want to do that. No, like that that's surprising to me. Do you think it maybe uh, people get spoiled or get used to it? I probably, but I wonder how 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 much can you get spoiled in two or three years and you never put an album out? Like how you know? I know there's a lot of hype and there was there was a lot of ink spilled in blogs at the time yeah. and a lot of that sort in yeah. forums where there were arguments about you and how great you were. And, yeah. and I, I get that. I just I don't know. I feel like yeah, if you were one of them people who were positioned. And where it looked like you had the world in front of you and there was all of this energy and momentum and hype. Um, and, and this is from the outside looking in. There's got to be something else happening that takes the wind out of people's sails. Because yeah. otherwise it seems like they would take it and try to do something with it. Like For I look certain. at, at um, uh, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Yeah. Who is a dude who was one of them, you know, signed a $2 million deal. Had him on the show, loved him. He's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, really seen poised to do something it didn't happen the way he wanted to yeah and you know clearly like he's do- he doesn't have the reach he used to have right but, he but still he's still does doing it. it like he's still making a, a real honest go of it with fervor too yeah, yeah. And, and, and and still putting out great music and that's, mind you yeah i would figure there to be more examples of that yeah actually you know what he just made like a power move to me like literally yesterday he took his big smash huzzah off the internet forever he removed the video. He said, you know what? I'm tired of this video haunting me. I don't like this song. I don't want my daughter to ever see this video. So I removed it from YouTube forever. And I thought, I, I love that because I have an album that I don't like. And I took it off the internet forever. And I have people hitting me up every day going like, can you put that album back up? And I said, you know what? It's my art. And I don't like it. And I'm removing it. I feel like that's powerful. I guess if you don't like it. I I, 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 I guess I'm one that would be more on the side of making sure that when you did put that energy in and did make something people connected to that it's still archived or that's not the right or something yeah but it's it's like the i'm a like i think legacy is important and i and i think that I don't know, man. I, I go I, back and forth with legacy so much where to at one point I go, oh, man, I hope uh, people tweet about me good when I die. And then <laughs> and, to, and then to the next going like it doesn't fucking matter because you won't know. You True. Know? But but, you know, but and that's that's a that's a, a perspective. I 100 percent agree yeah, when it yeah. comes to like death because like the stakes are so different. Then. Right. But I just think about like, OK, if I'm Ishmael Butler. Right. Yep. And I used to be Butterfly yep. and I used to be Cherry Wine like when he made the decision to be cherry wine, did he need diggable planets to disappear? Mm. When he made the decision to be Palisir Lazaro from from Shabazz Palaces, did right. he need cherry wine to disappear? Uh. And I don't, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know if, to me, I don't know if it's a power move. I, I think, I think it might be a mistake. Huh. <laughs> I yeah. think it might be in, in, in terms of the, the material necessary for, people to really understand your full narrative arc as a person yeah 
there's got to be some evidence of what you used to be too because that's still part of your story yeah that makes sense you know so yeah. i don't know like i i really i i bristle at that when i hear people do that sometimes i'm like oh i don't know mm. you know yeah yeah what do you want your legacy to be you know i have no idea man yeah um i i'm you know i look back at my career like at at my and i say look back because it's fucking 10 years man 10 years like 10 yeah. 10 years like seven albums or well and that's shit. 10 like, years that the public knows about but you yes. were it was it's really been 25 because yeah. i knew you mm -hmm. in 2005 15 years ago and you had already been working on it 10 years at that point well i had been rapping rapping 10 years, but you know i hadn't saying? been it wasn't a career a yet. recording artist right, right, in, right. in any sense right, really like right. like when we met i was like really slowly learning how to like record yeah but yeah man i, I look at it from where i, I sit uh, especially after putting this last project out mm-hmm because this last project is very new and different for me because it is so personal mm -hmm. and, and it and it kind of casts a different light on my older work for me. I don't know if the listeners all connect all of that, but for me, it ca it puts my older work. Uh, it, it just gives you a whole different perspective on it. And because of that, I kind of don't all the way know where to go from here. Mm -hmm. And I think with because of that uncertainty, I don't know how to think about my legacy. When you say you don't know how to where to go from here, is it because you feel as though this album and this is me projecting probably, but do you feel like this is the best you could ever do and how can you top this or or what do you mean by where does it go from here? I think it's the most vital I can ever be. Yeah. Like maybe not best in an objective sense, but it's the it's like it's clearly the album that is going to mean the most to me as a human being that's mm -hmm. a creator. Mm -hmm. Like, cause it is, it is really me mm -hmm. that, that I'm putting in it in a way that I never have before. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I want to keep doing that. Why was it tiresome? It's taxing. It's, yeah. For me, cause part of the reason that none of my albums had that shit in it is cause I don't like being vulnerable that yeah, way. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't like putting shit out. Past you cover a lot of stuff with jokes. You, you throw, you throw in some personal things, mm -hmm. but make sure that they're funny. Yeah. And, and I, and I like to curate people's experience of me yeah. to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. So like really going darker and heavier and truer mm -hmm. in a lot of ways was very different for me in it. And, and like doing press around the album, it feels very different than doing press around another album. Like mm -hmm. the experience of putting this art out as a product feels very different than anything I've done before. And I don't, I don't know that I might psychologically, if it's good for me to keep doing it this mm -hmm. way, because mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's like a, it hurts almost, but mm -hmm. like it, it for. But is there some sense of catharsis as well? That's that's what remains to be seen. That's the thing. I'm too close to it still. You, you don't feel any catharsis yet. Not even while you were writing it. It didn't feel to get, well, yeah, good no. to get it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Writing it and recording it, hundred percent. Yeah. Putting it out, whole different story. Yeah. And um. and that's the part where you know it still remains to be seen whether or not that was even a good idea. Mm. Like in terms of the psychological costs for me as a person, because I don't like the feeling of being exposed. Mm. Why? Where does that come from? Um, from from childhood trauma. Yeah, yeah. From 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 hiding and compartmentalizing being a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. It feels like life or death when I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it's the stakes are that high. So like, you know, I would wake up in a cold sweat in the run up to this album coming out, thinking about how certain people might take certain things. Really, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I'm just not used to my heart material being yeah, in, a, in an album yeah. like that which is so interesting because for me 
I'm not that funny of a person. I'm not that clever of a of a bar writer. Uh, I'm not like somebody who uses a bunch of layers of symbolism. I've always was writing hard on the sleeve, straightforward. Yeah. And and so I when I listen to the record, I go, you know, Mike's getting deep, but I bet you he could go deeper. Of course. I, can go I know you could go uh-huh. deeper. I can go a thousand times deeper. And so that's the thing is that if this does pay off for you in the long run and you feel like, oh, this was psychologically gratifying, oh my God, I would be scared for how sad other albums could be in yeah. the future. Yeah. I mean, and it's not even just the sadness. Not sad. Though. Yeah. The, you know. Yeah. It's, it's the... The full picture of a human being yeah. could be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Three dimensional. Yes. Yeah. And and really playing in a in a in a playground where my building blocks are like real shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I I was playing with fucked up shit and making crafting it into music and I usually don't do that. Yeah, cuz I listen when I listen to that record, I can feel you alluding to the truths, but I can still feel you covering them a little bit and making them go Make not making other people feel uncomfortable, like not dumping your shit onto other people too, too much, right? Right, because at some point for me that stops being music. Yeah, you know, like yeah. if, if it's too much, like I've I've often had that experience of listening to a song where I'm like, this sounds like a conversation between two people. This don't sound like I'm involved in this mm. at all. This don't sound like something I should be hearing. Yeah, you know, and mm. and I don't, I don't want to put people in that position for sure because it's not. I don't have a need for it to be confessional. Yeah. Um, I just had a need for it to address uh, my real emotions for once. Yeah. Why did you take a long break from... Did you take a long break? Did it feel like that for you? From music, that is? It didn't because... um, So I put out an album in 2017. Yeah. And then in 2018, we were doing the New Negro show. We were like, we were shooting that show and making music for that show the whole year. So for me... I felt like the soundtrack for the new Negroes was like my album. That right. I, I'm just so used to you putting out like three projects a year. That, I, well, I was too. Yeah. That, that like <laughs> not seeing one for the entirety of 2019. I was like, oh, Mike's like really, really busy. Yeah, man. And this, this was done. This was finished. Like, you know, September of 2019. This, mm. this thing was, it was all written in demoed and recorded and then re-recorded it just wasn't done being all mixed and put together and shit yeah but you know it was finished i got you what have your business moves on the music side been i I know you started the podcast network did you also start your own label yeah this is your first time putting out a record a a full lp of mine yeah how's that um it's good in that i can make the decisions i typically be making when i was on another label anyway in terms of like who my PR person is, whether or not we use this person for college radio promotion, um, you know, I get my visual artists together to do the packaging. And, and I was making a lot of those decisions anyway. Right. But this way I get more of the money. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like that makes a lot more sense. The part that's been frustrating for me um, is that I don't I, I started this label uh, as a you know, I wanted to be a platform for other people, too. Uh, I, I put out Video Dave's album earlier this year, yeah. and it is difficult. I don't know how. To, I don't think I know how to put out somebody else's album. I, I thought I thought I did. Yeah, and I did everything that I knew to do. Right, and it didn't work. Because the reason it works for you is because as you're following, that's waiting for that. And then yeah, if you try to apply that following to somebody else, it's like oh, this this but it is different. It wasn't even so much the following. Is it like all I've really ever known how to do is like do the press angle. 
Uh, like, like that's what I know how to do. Like I know how to position shit. I know how to make shit. I know how to kind of like make the narrative work. Um, and I can arm good press people with the assets they need to make a good press run happen. Yeah. And I, I did what I thought I could do in terms of that for his project yeah. too. And it just did not. Now, part of it was timing because it's right when COVID hit, it was not only right in the middle of like lockdown, it was like right when the George Floyd protests oh, were really, yeah, that was a really, so like nobody wanted to write about that anything. was a void of creativity for a little bit. Yeah. So, was, you know, that is, there certainly were challenges, but I came out of that feeling like my, my strategy is fucked when uh, it comes to other people. And I don't, and I don't know what to do about that just yet. Yeah. I'm sure like anything, it just takes time to build. Unfortunately, Video Dave had to be the guinea pig for the label. And you know what? I was the guinea pig for Hellfire in 2010. Mm. They put out, I was the first record they put out. And you, you know were what? The first Not a goddamn thing happened for that album. And I thought that was the one that was going to like take me to the promised land. But sometimes Did like- Did it feel successful at the time? I remember, I remember being on the sidelines of that and being jealous like it was going well. You know, I, get, like, I mean, like we had blog posts. What, but, but that's yeah, all that was, anybody that, could have. That was the thing then. But, I, you know, it didn't get me to, I never, I didn't get to like tour and all that stuff really other than like the, a couple times. You stuck with the Hellfire thing a lot longer than than I did, and, and admittedly, I've been out of that circle for some years now. Uh, what can you talk about with that? How long did it last? I mean, I I feel like it's I don't feel like I'm spilling any tea or speaking out of school or any of it. It was all on Twitter for fuck's sake, a hundred percent. Like people saw, and and that's the thing is like you mentioned that in the song. Yeah, people saw this thing that that we were you know it, it had it had started as a you know just kind of la kind of hip label releasing yeah. projects you know and then it kind of you know by the time i'm deeply involved in it and then driver from from a position bus driver from from a position where he had been in the industry for a while with right. like big indie labels yeah when he puts his energy into it um and then you know there's the rise of Rory, a.k.a. Milo, a.k.a. R.A.P. Ferreira, like by the time, you know, his star starts to rise and it's like the four of us. And even though there's other people involved, there's Kale, there's there's rhetoric, um, you know, subtitle, like there's all these these, these people involved in this movement. Um, you kind of had the four of us out there as like the figureheads of it. Yeah, the articles were written about you guys. And doing a lot of, of touring and like getting these good looks. And, and, and we had done things with like the Dorner versus Tukey project. Um, and there was a couple other things we did. We were very conscious about like, you know, executing a vision in terms of, you know, this being a thing. And we had business meetings with some big people mm -hmm. like who were trying to really take this thing and, and take it to the next level, like to where like, you know, it could have been like a Brockhampton thing or like a, a, a indie version of a TDE thing or something like like it could have really scaled up mm -hmm. that way. But um, when it came down to it, our business practices were still very much like, you know, print up a thousand CDs and sell them out the trunk and not quite sure where the money came from to do it. So not quite sure where the money, how the money has to be to split. Go. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to when I was really ready to put out an album that I felt like could, could really change things for me, which was the dark comedy album. 
I had a deal from another place. Yeah. Uh, I always wondered about that, like how you were being involved with Hellfire, but then putting out the records on Mellow. Yeah, it just, it, it felt like the smarter thing to do to not be caught up in the bottleneck of everybody trying to put a project out mm-hmm. on this on this label um while and while and but still very much being involved in projects on the label and being a part of the aesthetic and like the the collectiveness of it mm-hmm. um but because i got money to put out an album and make money with another label like my livelihood wasn't tied up in how hellfire business was being done mm-hmm so when things started to get a little shaky in terms of that, and that's what, you know, so people saw that happen when they ordered merch. Um, they ordered too much merch and PayPal froze the account because mm. too much merch was ordered or not enough orders had been fulfilled. Mm. But that money had to be in to even make some of the merch. And then there was this really long process of how to get that solved. But that also was connected to the band camp. Mm. So then now you got people's record money. Mm-hmm. The royalty money is all locked into this PayPal account. Mm. And that's what was all over Twitter. Uh, uh, as far as like that's, when it, it went public, it was very much like what happened to the band camp money from what I remember. Yeah. And and there were certain other entities that were stirring the pot because, uh, like I said, people saw potential in particular artists or even particular even even the way that we were presenting ourselves, people saw an opportunity to take that and put another name on it and still have it be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of entities in a lot of people's ears, and um, there's a lot on the line for people. And ultimately, the problems got bigger than what we as men could deal with. Yeah. How do the chips fall in the long run? Are you still close with anybody? I'm still close with everybody. With everybody. You know, the way that you protect yourself a little bit on your records, maybe like putting out the record on Mellow was a way for, for, of protecting yourself from, I think so. from being involved too heavily in that. Because you've gotten to remain friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a lot of people don't talk to each other at all anymore, probably, yeah. right? I think a lot of that has been alleviated. Okay. I, I know that I have passed a few messages and, and I don't know um, I don't know how deep those conversations have gotten. Yeah. But Nobody hates anybody, though there was certainly a time when yeah, people did. That's good. Yeah. Now, now we're at a place where, you know, everybody's everybody's back to at least a solid mutual respect. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's fantastic. It is. You know, I think I think to me, and this is why that why a piece of that ended up on that song, and it's and it's it's the part that really affects me emotionally the most mm-hmm. is that I'm old enough to understand what a missed opportunity like that looks like. Yeah. And that's what hurts me. Mm-hmm. It's like. What we all could have done. It's the coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. Oh my God! Like, and and you don't you don't get a lot of opportunities like that in life, yeah. where all of those kind of factors converge together, and you have this moment to yeah. do shit, and people are fucking into it. Yeah. Like you you can't fuck shit up like that because now, I mean, to this day, in all of our different ways, we're all still picking up the pieces of that in yeah. some sense, and and everybody's successful in their own way, mm-hmm. but I think there's been a fallout to that that all of us have had to deal with. It just haunts you a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah, you can't you can't shake that when you see each other. Like, you can't get that out of your head. Yeah. Right. I mean, I yeah, I still feel like back in 2010, you know, like we, even as loosely affiliated as everyone was back then, 
I still look back and I go, oh, we could have been kind of TDE-ish, yeah. you know? Yeah, we were just in our own bubble, though. We ne- yeah, it was definitely thing. a bubble. That was the thing. And that's the thing with us is we never really, because we had our own bubble, we had our own echo chamber, we had our own fans, oh, yeah. even though, you know, it wasn't a million of them, but no. we had them. Yeah, right. We never really tried to understand how the industry worked. Nah, we were like very anti, I felt like, anti-industry, yeah. which- you know, in a sense, it hurts you in the long run. I think so. Cause I, and I think the biggest way it hurts you is that you don't learn how things work. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? And yeah. so you're trying to – we were trying to participate in a business yeah. and weren't willing to understand how the business worked. Yeah. Coming from the DIY space we were coming from, like those are the kinds of things that ended up fucking us in the long run. And, and, and you know, I think that as, as much as um, our entrepreneurial spirit – and, you know, taking the kind of initiative it took for us to make high quality records and and do the smart thing of selling to people for ten dollars a unit right. in boxes and, and at shows like we like that's all great. But I think with DIY also comes a few bad habits. And and one of them is thinking, you know, how to do shit. Right. You have no idea how to do. Yeah. Not asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. That situation falling apart, was it a reset for you that inspired all of the more recent business moves, um, which have seemed to me to be much more calculated and and, um, thinking long term? I mean, obviously, like starting the podcast network, starting the record label, starting a merch company, like all of these are things that are going to pay dividends long term, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Were they inspired by that falling out? Not directly. I I think a lot of it was more inspired by my journey in in television. Yeah. Because- you know, that's the most money I ever made in my life. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it's crazy to think about now because I have nowhere near that amount of money now. Right. But like because it's the stakes are that high, it wants everything from you. Uh. It wants your whole mind and soul. Like everything that happened on that new Negroes television show, like me and Baron and our writer's room um, and to some extent our showrunner, we had to fight and die on so many hills. So many fucking hills. And I look back and like to think that so much blood, sweat, tears, and soul went into a show that ended up being cut down to 20.5 minutes an episode and airing on Friday night at 11.30. Only on basic cable. No Hulu, no Netflix after the fact, nothing. Like if you don't see it then, it, it goes unseen. And to think that like we put all of that energy and I mean like life energy yeah. into the show and for, for, for that to be the, the positioning like, so, and because that was a the positioning, there was a ceiling on, on any reward that could come from it. You know, yeah. like there was, it, we were fucked either way. Yeah. Uh, it really made me want to make sure that no matter what I did going forward, I had more ownership over the shit I was doing. Yeah. Because I can't have any in that. That makes sense. So, like, I was running home trying to, like... So, it, it was a backlash from that experience, essentially, going, like, oh, this can't happen again. It, well, it can't It can't happen if I'm in the same position. Like, like it, it can happen again. Like, I'll fucking do another TV yeah. show, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because, I mean, the money's worth it. Yeah, Yeah, sure, but, like, sure. I have to... I, creatively, yeah. I have to have outlets to do shit that I don't have to ask anybody about, yeah. that I don't have to fight with anybody about, that I could do what the fuck I want. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I come into this like as a as a 
as a creative entity, like having ideas that have been fucking battle tested. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I've been doing this shit for a while. So like the way that you got to kind of fucking started square one and humble yourself in front of these executives when you're trying to pitch some shit or, or once you have the show already and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to convince them your shit is a good idea and this and that. And they're pushing back. It's like, fuck. OK. Yeah. If I'm going to do all of that. When it comes to my music shit, I don't want to talk to nobody. nobody. Yeah, leave me the fuck alone. Leave don't give me any notes. Man. Yeah. Just do what the fuck, like, distributors, do what the fuck I told you to do. Like, How, how did you and Baron get involved with each other? Um, We met at a um, a comedy rap battle. When you used to throw those at the Mint, right? Or was it the Mint? I used to throw shows at the Mint. The, you did one of them. Okay, you did a talk show, yeah. Mike Eagle talk show. Because me and Alpha and maybe somebody. Yeah, verbs, what's the best sandwich? Yeah, the sandwich. Oh, the Samita shit. Because yeah, yeah. uh, Baron came up to me at that show and was like, yo, that was so funny. And I was like, holy shit, Baron Vaughn. Like, I was like low-key starstruck already because I'm a comedy fan. Yeah. You know, I'm not, not, I'm not as involved in the scene whatsoever. But I... I recognized him. I was like, holy shit, Baron Vaughn, that's dope. So, like, did you guys already know each other by the time you're doing yeah, the Mike Eagle show? Because he did that show. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's he right. He did yeah, that yeah. show. Um, we had met at a comedy rap battle in 2011, I want to say. And oh, because they used to do those at the store, right? Or was it? This was at Meltdown. Oh, okay. Meltdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they used to Rest be Rest in peace, Meltdown. For real. Yeah. Um, so, we used to do them there, or I used to be involved in them there occasionally yeah um and i, I made a lot of relationships there but all I was, the way back in 2011 yeah but i but i started doing comedy shit in like 2009 were you hiding that from all of us because no, i didn't know dude, that believe i didn't know me, that. everything i did was was promoted on myspace no like shit. everything you know what i'm saying like i just i i used to i used to have to make very intentional efforts to like go do things in that world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I used to like the, I think the first thing I did was it was 2010. Um, I was at UCB yeah. doing ASCAT. Yeah. I know ASCAT. Yeah. So like, you know, they have the monologist. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, you remember that dude, what was his name? His name was Trek life. You remember him? Uh, vaguely. Yeah. I saw that he was a monologist. And so you're like, I should do that. Yes. Yeah. And that's one powerful trait that you have is like, if you see somebody do something and you go, I could do that. You're not somebody who's like, what the fuck? Why is he doing that? You're like, I'm going to figure out how to do that. It, it, well, sometimes some things, you know, there's, there's other shit that I also get insanely fucking jealous about and, and and wonder why it's not me. But then there's other shit where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is that is that you always that, turn your jealousy to positivity? Not always <laughs> <laughs> on the outside. Look at it. I'll say sure. this, yeah. that sometimes my jealousy can turn into a very well written email. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah. that and I have used that to open up doors for me in some senses. But like so you saw Trek Life doing it. And I jumped and I got a chance to do it and it went fucking great. Like, yeah. like, you know, we used to rap at, you know, we, I drove down Hyperion to get here. What was that place used to be on Hyperion? The old place where Urban Underground used to be. You remember that? Before they moved to? Yeah, that little, it was like a little. Um, it was, you know, it was Zen Sushi. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Zen Sushi actually predates me in LA even. No. Yeah, no, no. When I, my first Urban Underground I went to was in 2006 and it was already at the airliner by then. Get out. Yeah, yeah. I was living in Santa Barbara until 2006. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had heard about Urban Underground and, and I remember feeling very entitled when I finally got an Urban Underground show yeah. and, and some people that I thought weren't quite as big as me were going on after me and I had stern words with the promoter girl and she didn't like me after that <laughs> she had stern words with so many people yeah, in this yeah, town yeah but her and her and the dj mike they have like a family now and oh shit. that's cool yeah man. shout out yeah um but 
I mentioned Zen Sushi. I mentioned airliner. I mentioned like, you know, the knitting fact, the old knitting yeah, factor. Knitting fact. That was our that was our space, man. Yeah, I think about all the the the. What was the one in Pasadena we used to always play? Oh snap! Oh, I live right by there now. I can never think of it. I can't remember. A- the SP just it told either. me it. But all these places we used to go rap at, in front of all of these people who would get excited when a beat would drop or get excited maybe if you hit a dope punch maybe if you hit a dope punch line they get excited if you rap fast they got really yeah, excited yeah. if you fucking double time for half a second yeah but they're all kind of secretly just waiting for their turn there's that and yeah. it's just when i did that first show at ucb i did a song that i thought was kind of was was kind of funny but it was a song i would have did anywhere yeah but them motherfuckers laughed on every punchline. It was like deaf comedy jam in Yo, there. Oh like, man, like people they, just rolling in the aisles. They were listening. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to rapping for people who were actually fucking listening. That's funny. Yeah. So so when I did that and it went fucking amazing, I made sure I got a chance to do it again. Yeah. And when I did it the second time, I made sure I got it taped. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I showed that tape to Paul F. Tompkins, who I didn't know at the time. And that's your relationship with him started? Yep. I've always wondered. I'm like, how, like, I love Paul F. Oh Tompkins. My God, he's the best. He's one of the best human beings there is. He is so fucking funny. And I remember, thank you for putting me on a guest list one time to his show at Largo that you performed at. And I was just like, I can't believe that I'm getting to see Paul F. Tompkins for free because of Mike Eagle. <laughs> it's amazing. And and me, he was doing that show at Largo at the time. Yeah. And he was having all kinds of different, like he was doing so of his variety show. And so, like, I hit him up cold on Twitter. Like, wow. would you ever consider having a rapper on your show? Yeah. And then he said, you know, I don't know, he said something, but and, and he gave me the opportunity to send him some shit. Yeah. So I sent it to him, and I didn't hear back for months and months and months and months, but he finally looked at it. He wow. was like, oh, okay. And then he had me on. It might have been that show. Yeah, yeah. And that, that show is really what changed everything. That's around the time that you meet Baron then? Uh, I met Baron 20. So, uh, yeah, I think all that's happening around the around same then. time. Because, yeah, I'm meeting a bunch of people in comedy. You guys work together so closely on that show, and even before that, you're working together on the New Negroes live comedy show, shows, yeah. which I went to a few of those as well. When you two meet, is it an instant kindred? Yeah, because we, you know, we we linked up at that battle because he murdered that battle. Oh, wow. The way those things used to work, I used to always lose because I don't know, how, I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how to play in a battle. Yeah. If it was a battle, it was serious. Yeah. Ah, and, I, yeah. and people were like, nobody wants that here. Like, yeah. um, but he was doing this fucking old man character. Oh, wow. And just styling on people. And I was like, holy shit, that's so dope. And um, so, I, you know, I just ran up on him after because I think we were actually in a battle, me and him. And, um, you know, I had some music on me, so I gave him a CD. Yeah. He actually listened to it. And then, you know, we linked up on social media and all that. And then... We did each other's podcast because he was doing oh, a podcast yeah. at the time and I was doing Secret Skin at the time. And that's when we really got close because when we really sat and talked like this, yeah. we realized kind of how much we had in common. Right. And then so we started talking about doing more shit from there. How long is it after you guys know each other where you conceptualize the new Negroes? I feel like the first new Negroes conversations I had were probably around 2016. Yeah. And at that time, it was supposed to be like this four person tour documentary thing it was supposed to be me him uh kamal bell and reggie watts oh wow yeah (laughs) um and 
you know, Reggie was blowing up at the time and Kamal was starting to to get on to do shit again after he had um, totally biased show. Yeah. Um, and so me and Baron were just generally more available. Uh, and it was Baron's concept to begin with. And he started doing he started doing a show called The New Negroes at this comedy festival in Portland in, I think, 2015. Mm-hmm. And that was a wild success. And then we started doing it down here together and started doing it around the country mm-hmm. 2016, 2017. There had been this underlying conversation about a potentially a television show. That's what I was going to ask because it seems like the unwritten rule of being a stand-up comedian is that like you do stand-up to eventually get your TV break or your movie break. Mm-hmm. In LA for sure. Yeah, but now uh, uh, just the way you guys had conceptualized the stand-up shows even kind of based around a theme a lot of times that seemed like it was, yeah, just perfectly packaged for TV. Yeah, uh, and it was always in his mind because it's always been Baron's concept. Yeah, um, and you know, I think that the earliest conversations we were having with Funny or Die, who ended up being our producers for the show, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about shaping the live show in a way that that could make it proof of concept, basically. Mm-hmm. Is it scary entering the TV world or did it just feel like, well, pitching was scary at first. That yeah. shit was terrifying at first. But it, it, yeah. but, the, but he also like you get to you, you can learn quickly when there's energy there and when there's not, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that part stopped being as intimidating. And um, there was a lot of there was a lot of fuckery in terms of who we decided to go with because we had a few offers oh, and. Yeah. That shit ended up being like that's a that's a whole story in and of itself of like us basically agreeing to an offer from somewhere, but then like another network came in with with a last minute offer that was hella more money. So we're like, no, we want to do that, and then and then so the first network's kind of mad at us because we kind of like balked on the deal a little bit, and then more money over here. Okay, cool, and then during negotiations, at one point the two networks merge. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> it was it it was man. Yeah. It was fucking harrowing. Wow, you know what I'm saying? And it yeah. took a solid like, I feel like it took like a solid two years to get that deal done. What's that time like where you're not allowed to tell people what you're working on? Well, that's all I. That's that's my whole career. Yeah, is I always have something in my pocket. Yeah, always. Yeah, that I'm that that is like the best thing that I can't talk about constantly. That's been my entire yeah. fucking career. Because around that time that you were pitching, I remember I, I was uh, talking with Jensen a lot, you know, and he and I would say, "Oh, you should get Mike Eagle to do this," or Mike is all Mike, Mike Eagle's busy. You got a lot of TV shit going on. I was like, "Oh, really? I didn't know that." And that's probably what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah, because he yeah he knows all the business. Yeah, so. right. How long did you guys actually shoot? It was just uh, one season. Did you finish it all in like three weeks? So there was two phases. The first phase was we shot all of the uh, music videos first. No, we shot the stand up the studios, the in studio bits first. And I think that was two weeks yeah. of shooting those, like two shows a night. Yeah. Oh no, was it one week? Maybe it was one week. Because isn't that crazy how long you work on something for it to happen, and then it all takes place in a fucking week? Well, yeah, because you know we did we were in pre production for like six months. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and then we're in production, and then it's, I think yeah maybe a week to do the stand up shows right because two a night, um, for yeah, and there's eight shows total. But then we shot the videos over the course of the next month. Yeah, I don't know what's it feel like when you're seeing yourself on TV on Comedy Central. 
the 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 weirder thing was the billboards. Yeah, that shit was weird. That shit. I had a billboard right outside my house. That's tight. Like like I like if I looked out of my bedroom window. Yeah. I saw a billboard with me on it. Did they do that on purpose? I, I heard that they do. Yeah, okay. I have heard that they do yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. Right. I just thought this was like the most divine. I don't know, man. Like that. That was the peak. Like billboards around town was the peak. Like, Did people start being like, "Hey, wait, do I recognize you?" A little bit, but that's all done already. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's already all fucking done. Right. But yeah, that 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 was the weird part. The TV part was. Was was fun and entering and also anxiety inducing and all of that crazy, but like the billboard shit felt weirder. Yeah, what was it like working with MF Doom? That's the that's the rap nerd question. Uh, I mean, it was amazing, except that I, I I didn't get to meet him. Well, I, I didn't but, figure that yeah. you would, but I mean, just the fact you ended up on a song with Bro, him, like, like what the fuck? I got his verse back when I was backstage in London on tour. Wow, of the UK, like a back the backstage, and and I was with my manager. And he got the email and he just looked at me and he started smiling real big. Yeah. And he said, I'm about to forge you something. Yeah. And I fucking just kept playing that shit over and fuck. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I was like so happy for you on that shit. I was like, oh my God. That was like one of the few times my hater mode didn't kick, kick in. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, what are my friends? And really two of my friends because Ned made the beat too. So right. it was oh, like, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh my God, two of my friends collapsed. I was really, with I was really happy for Ned too. That's so, that's so sick. Particularly because of the, the people that he usually works with are like so far removed yeah. from that they, whole And who would have even known? You, like, know what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? Like if you had known him as long as we had, yeah. we would have never known. Like, never. Like Doom? Never. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Anyway, yeah, I was I was very stoked when that happened. Yeah, um man. But then you had other TV shows. Like what the fuck? I when it, rain, when shows, it rains, yeah. it pours. Like the cup runneth over. It was stupid, dude. How, how did that happen? What's that show? That was called uh, WZRD. The Wizard Academy thing. Yeah. Right? Uh, we were community college wizards. Okay, yeah. Um, Who conceptualized this? Uh, VRV, the streaming platform. They were trying to do live action shit. And that shit started with like a lunch meeting. Like a general? Yeah, I guess. I guess. But it but it was specific in that the I, I was recommended by someone uh, who who knew this this lady and, and that was in production over VRV. Like you should look at this guy for this thing you're trying to do, and I'm, and and then they hit me up like, oh, can you do lunch? Blah, blah blah. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I go sit down. She tells me these ideas. Oh, this, this sounds fucking cool. All right, cool. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more. And like a month later, like I had a contract. You know what I'm saying? Oh, was, so this wasn't something you conceptualized. No. You just got invited as an actor. Yeah. I didn't know. I thought that you also wrote this show, no. and I'm like, look at this guy writing everything. No, 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 oh, no. So no. you're just like an actor now too. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to be. I was taking acting classes. Were you going to auditions and stuff? Yeah, I still go on auditions every now and then. I hate that shit. Though. I hate. Aud- I've only auditioned trash. a couple times. It's the worst thing ever. That shit is terrible. I've never gotten anything from an audition. I never gotten anything from an audition. I've been on many of them. And then around that same time, you're in a movie too. Yep, but that was that had gotten shot. I think like the year before. Uh, okay. And I watched that just because you're in it. <laughs> Fuck you for that. No, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I think that movie was actually it was fine. It, it was. I think it had a lot of funny moments, and I think I wasn't very good in it because I didn't. I didn't understand the movie while I was shooting. Well, it. well knowing the type of rapper you are, seeing you play a jiggy rapper for me was wasn't believable. Because right. I'm like, this right. feels too organic, dog. <laughs> 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 so a- anyway uh yeah you were doing a lot man yeah that's fucking tight yeah it was uh, I, you know things did start to work out it was so funny because that you know like i talk about the new negroes is something that took years to come to fruition yeah and then that vrv thing came together in like two months yeah like, it was just like, on accident. Like, we had I had that meeting in september 
by November we were shooting. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because the whole time we were shooting, and I'm talking to them like, when are y'all planning to air this? We don't know. Well, I'm like, avoid, please try to avoid February, blah, 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 because that's when. New you know, Yeah, and I don't, you know, I think it'll be tough for me to try to promote if if, if that's right. something that y'all need me to do. Um, if both of those things are happening at once. And um, what do you know? They both premiere on the same day. The same exact day. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. When it when it rains, it pours. Yeah, it was real stupid. That's fucked. But hey, those are good problems to have. Yeah. Well, yeah. It wasn't. It was. Well, while so while you're working so much on the entertainment side, did you feel separated from the music? Because I know that you're somebody who's in the studio constantly. You're like always in your bedroom making a new demo. Were you still? doing that actively or were you, did you take a step back well there like i said there was a lot of music making for the new negroes yeah there was a there was a that was a heavily music intensive show that didn't have like on the music side the staff was me video dave and rhyme fest oh wow yeah uh, fuck that's tight yeah it was dope but we only had rhyme fest for like two weeks he helped write some songs yeah he helped pitch ideas for songs had you known rhyme fest previously you're both chicago guys i had met him but he didn't remember that okay yeah uh so i blew his mind a couple times when we were in that writer's room like reminding him of when because we had battled oh wow when i was in high school oh i didn't know that yeah we, we had battled once he gobbled me up man. yeah he gave, oh he was a he gave beast me a huge l <laughs> he was a beast what was it he won like 2003 scribble jam or something i didn't know he won a scribble he won man. a scribble he fucking ate so you guys conceptualized a lot of music together. Yeah. So like I, I didn't come up with all the ideas for the songs myself. Um, so we wanted to bring in some support. But that it was just the three of us. And, you know, we're responsible for putting eight songs together where there's a concept juicy enough for it to be entertaining as a song and also try to be comedic and also have, you know, interest from a guest star. A celebrity like, guest. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Well, yeah, what's it like working with such a diverse cast of rappers? Because I mean, you had everybody, like I said, from MF Doom to Method Man to like Lizzo. Yeah, like at right when she's like on the verge, it was like the month before, the month, be <laughs> the month before she became yeah. fucking capitalized Lizzo. You yeah, know? yeah. What's that like? Um, I mean, it it was that part was super thrilling for me. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to conceptualize and execute these songs. Um. It, the whole conversation of music and Comedy Central, though, was that was a rough road. Mm, they didn't get it. And, it, and it. and it's weird they didn't get it because when we pitched the show, everybody knew it was, you know, it was three comics and a music video. Everybody knew that. Yeah. But then, like, when we had our first, I mean, from that pitch to when we started working on the show, like, it's like a solid two years. When we had that first kickoff call for the show, the network is telling us, uh, we don't traditionally historically we haven't had good luck with music on our show like yeah. wh what are, what are y'all talking about yeah. like what do you mean I, I mean I still listen to the recording of uh, uh, of Common and Kanye the live version rather than the studio one what are you talking well, about and, and the Chappelle I show I brought that up yeah. on the call and they were like well no even then though there was tune out there was tune out because yeah. their whole perspective is literally just the number of eyeballs many watching are the watching? show at that time because that is what their ad model is based on. Yeah, of course. Strictly. And that's why they can charge high ad revenue because you can't watch their shit anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so for them, the fact that the music on Chappelle's show was like culturally iconic, they, they really don't give a, give a fuck. They don't care about the cultural capital. They care about the ad capital. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to ask something that maybe is out of pocket, but who knows? At Comedy Central, being 
a black show with all black comedians did it feel like a certain sense of tokenism because there wasn't a lot of black shows on comedy central at that time uh it didn't feel like that for us yeah. because we we knew what we were doing yeah and, and it was baron's idea yeah we were all oh, and i don't mean on the creative but no, I, I'm, yeah but i didn't get to the other part of this answer yeah what we ultimately ended up having to deal with inside of viacom and and to some extent in the world was people thinking of us that way oh and we weren't prepared for that. Yeah. Because everything that both of us have done has always been with such a degree of ownership that like that thought never entered our minds. But there were black people yeah. at Viacom who were like, what is this? Really? Yeah. Just off of the title. They didn't of, understand like the historical reference they, of the title. They did not only did they not, they didn't trust that coming from Comedy Central. Oh yeah. They didn't and, and it's like once somebody said it, it's like, oh shit, you're right. Like they don't have a history of, of doing anything that acknowledges black history. Right. So like, why would anybody think that it was because of that? And and we ended up having to we had to rewrite parts of the first episode of the show. Huh to unpack the title to try to make it more palatable for people. Like it was, we had a lot of issues around that. Yeah. Because we, we didn't. Well, Comedy Central is one of those networks that always seems like they only have one black show at a time. Yep. It's like, okay, we have Chappelle show. Now we got Key and Peele. Mm -hmm. Now that's gone. Now we got new Negroes, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But you know, we, we, what we thought of as, as a, as a neat way to kind of make an homage to, the Harlem Renaissance and, yeah. and and what was called the New Negro Movement, right? Ultimately, ended up kind of kind of backfiring in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. White people are very scared to say that word. Yeah, and and <laughs> a lot of black people, especially older black people, are not happy with that word. Yeah, you that know, makes total sense. So we're we were getting it from all sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every angle was hearing that the show was canceled. A big catalyst. Uh, in momentum changing back to music, it was what it really was. It just it really just hurt the fuck out of my feelings. Is what it yeah, did. That's yeah. what it did. Did you go through like a deep phase of depression for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm not all the way out of that because because mm. the the thing with it was that for as challenging as it went to do that first season, yeah, I don't think anybody doubted for a moment that we wouldn't get a second one. Oh right, I don't think it was it was a given. Yeah, because. To me, it always seemed like, and this is just me, it just seemed like, would they want to deal with the public fallout of canceling a right. show attempting to do what we're attempting to do? Would right. they, would they, wouldn't it make more sense for them to give us another shot and just refigure out the budget or something? Like, yeah. And that's what the talk was. The talk was, okay, the first season did what it did, but it ended up being too expensive. Let's talk about how to how we can reconfigure the budget. Let's figure out how to do Round two. Yeah. And we did that. We figured out how to reconfigure the budget, but then they canceled us anyway. Uh, in Everything Ends This Year on the album, it revolves around three major life events, like the canceling of the TV show, mm -hmm. the divorce, mm -hmm. and the falling out of Hellfire Club. Were you playing with timelines a little bit, or did they really all end in that same no, year? No, of course, because Hellfire Club ended. Long ago, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought it was, I thought it must have been like 2017 or 16 when that yeah. ended, but I wasn't sure. Um 
But did the, did the marriage end last year? Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. So at the same time, you're going through both of these things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot, man. Yeah, it just felt like a lot of loss. You know, it felt like a lot of, and it it just didn't feel. It felt. You know, I was in one of them moments where I just felt like, okay, nothing's gonna go good. Mm-hmm. Like nothing. Yeah, everything's gonna go bad because because yeah. everything. And then that was happening in business at the time too. I had a lot of other opportunities that are falling through one by one. Mm. Everything and it, and it would be, be bizarre shit too, man. Like I was gonna sell this show to Quibi. Yeah. Um, pitch meeting went great. They were gonna buy it, and then talks got stalled out. And then this other big established media company came through with a similar idea, and so they, oh, we're going with that one. Okay, cool. Um, that show has me into audition to be the host. The one that you were gonna sell? Yeah. They want you to host it. They want me to host. That's crazy. And I don't, I don't even get it. <laughs> really? They're like, "Hey, will you audition for your idea?" <laughs> oh, sorry, you're not. Yeah, never mind. You're not good enough for your oh idea. Oh my, I'm telling. Like, and, and everything felt like like it was raining shit on my head. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm gonna. I want to talk about your personal life from my perspective uh-huh. on some weirdo shit. All right, I know your wife mm-hmm. or ex-wife, and I know you, and I've. Follow both of you on social media. Ooh, that's rough. I love and I love both of you guys. I think you're both great. And so I was watching last year, going like, you know, I I don't talk to Mike enough to ask him this question, <laughs> but I'm starting to get the sense that I'm never seeing them together on Instagram, mm. and I'm thinking something must be happening because at one point, you you guys bought a house. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I was she posting new pictures of the house. And I said. Holy shit, Tiffany, did you guys buy? I'm like, oh my God, congratulations. Like, so happy for mm-hmm, you guys. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing you posting not from the house. And I'm going, man, I want to hit Micah, but it's just not not my business. So yeah. that that's just- I'm sure it looked weird, man. Yeah. You know, I'm because I'm sh- most people knew us as a very happy couple. Yeah, you so. guys are great. We all, uh, every episode we've done, this is our third one, we always talk about you and Tiffany. I think you guys are awesome. You yeah, know? man. Individually and, and formally as a couple. And she's still awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you absolutely. Know what absolutely. All right, I have a question. Sure. That, I, that I've been thinking of all week. Is there space in America as a black man to be allowed to have a midlife crisis? Yeah. Yeah, now. Yeah, now. There is. Uh-huh. Is, that what's ha- is that what's happening right now, kind 100%. of? Because we're like 40. Yeah, this I've, is the I've, middle of our lives. I just turned 40 on... Sunday. Yeah. Last Sunday. And so what's it feel like? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> fucking terrible, dude. <laughs> like, I'm trying to fucking rap for a living. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you rap for a living and you're 40 and you're not rich. Yeah. That shit's weird, man. It's hard to tell people. I've gotten to the point where I say I used to rap to people and it's a lot easier. Yeah. I can't do the used to, man. No, I know. Because you still, to, yeah. Because you have a hit record out, out right well, now. You know, I put some shit out, man. That's I, and, it. Yeah, I I really uh, would love to have something else to call myself, but um, you're just an entertainer now. There you go. There we go. Yes, you're just an entertainer I and am an entity, forty year old entity. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm getting off topic and trying to like not make you be too vulnerable, but I just want to know in 2019 what that's like. Did you feel alone? Did I? Because I feel secondhand guilt, even though we're not as close as as uh, we all were once. But like I feel bad for not reaching out. Yeah, but I also had people that I talked to when I felt like talking, and I usually don't feel like talking. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not that kind of person where I need friends to spill my guts to. You're not making a checklist of who checks in on you. Nah, man. Because yeah. I'm. I don't know, man. I feel like everybody's got their own shit. Yeah. And honestly, 
all the shit that I was dealing with was shit that, you know, I understood. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And no it, one else really could probably. It, yeah. It, well, it's not even so much that no one else really could. It's just that I, I wouldn't have felt any better explaining it to anybody. That makes sense. You know what I'm saying? That's how I felt when my dad died. People start hitting me up to go, hey, do you want to talk to me about it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would I want to talk to you about it? And that really changed my perspective about reaching out to people because how dare you reach out to me? You are not the person I wanted to reach out to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's, I don't know, man. I feel like my friends are my friends. The people who I know are people who I know. And, yeah. and, and I don't know, man. I don't I don't have this need to commiserate. Yeah. I don't I don't have that. Like and I, and honestly that's gotten me into trouble in life cuz I cuz I feel like I just I go hide in a corner and deal with my shit, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I'm um, saying. But you know, that's just kind of how I'm wired and and I don't have the we were, we were talking about catharsis earlier. I don't get a catharsis from telling people shit it makes me feel very uncomfortable but yeah. and that's why i was always so open in my music because mm. t- telling someone face to face about what's wrong feels like shit to me i'm mm-hmm. like oh here's my stuff let me make it way heavy on you as right. well like right. no thanks does that make sense yeah yeah so that's i'm always very bad at small talk too because of that same thing you know i'm like oh i don't want to I don't want to make it weird too fast you saw how deep we got soon as we sat down yeah 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 <laughs> it's easy uh Let's uh, let's talk about perhaps my favorite thing that you've ever created mm. was this podcast this year with oh, Prince Paul. Oh, it's yeah. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Uh, I mean, I'm sure so I'm sure you're sick of the praise being heaped on you for that Brother, one. Uh I I I <laughs> But man, <laughs> praise is good. <laughs> I mean, if there were I'm sure there are podcast awards and I'm sure if there are some that you'll win some I this year. So. I hope so. Cuz they're hope great. Cuz I I really yeah. How'd you come up with it? See, this is the thing, man. Yeah. Like this is what I was saying earlier. Like I I just hate pitching shit man because yeah. we pitched that show to a fucking podcast network yeah and we did the first the first episode was the native tongues episode and we cut that shit and i'm sitting here like while i'm having a conversation i'm like fuck this is amazing this is fucking awesome and then you literally have all of rap twitter creaming themselves over every episode but then you're probably pitching to some group of dudes who have no connection no to it whatsoever I- and they don't get yeah, it. Yeah, they have no idea that anybody gives a shit yeah, they don't get it yeah like they literally told me well, I like it, but our our ad department said they don't know how they're going to sell it. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? And, and then you put the podcast out and it's like number one. Or it's well, like it was, know, yeah, top, it was, top it was, 20 it, it was good. It, yeah. yeah. On, and the music podcast. And, it, you know, it, it never it never did millions of no shit or, or yeah, even 100,000. Well, it did 100,000 like total or like. That's fantastic. Like 200,000. You know what I'm total. learning is that if you get 20,000 plays an episode, you are the top 1% of podcasts. And it's it was like 16 to 18,000. That's like, you're like in the top yeah. 2% of podcasts. Um, then. And and. It was so validating because, like, that's what I was saying. Like, I needed to be, I needed to be able to do ideas that I thought were good and not have to fucking ask anybody about it. Because that's, that's so that's why I ended up starting the network. Because like I'm sitting here with this pilot, like, yeah, who the fuck? So I got to tap dance for company X and company C to get this thing that I know is good put yeah. out. Oh, fuck that. In listening to it, I feel like there was one. Maybe it was the Native Tongue episode since that was the first one where. Even Paul was kind of unsure, like what exactly this was, and, and like, so did you guys have a rapport before you did this, or were you creating the rapport as you went? So we had met a couple times, yeah, and that's that's when I first realized that that could be a show, cause cause he's just such a conversationalist, yeah, and then 
he would randomly end up telling stories that were mind-blowing to me. Like, we were in a studio, and somebody brought up Def Jam, and he started talking about when he tried to start a union at Def Jam. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you tried to start a union yeah. at Def Jam? Yeah. And, and then, you know, and, and just a bunch of shit like that would happen all the time. And, and he was always very open because I had a lot of questions just being around him. Like, the shit about um, naming the song... Chub Rock, when you're gonna pay me the twelve hundred dollars? You want me? I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck happened yeah, there? Yeah, and, yeah. But he was always willing to like, you know. It dawned on me, kind of in the conversations with him around doing it, um, and you know, presenting him the list of topics I want to talk about, and then sitting there with him talking about the native tongues. When it's like, oh, nobody like, he's not in a position where anybody is asking him these things. Yeah. In a way that that is archiving like, his legacy, yeah. Like from a, from a legacy perspective, yeah, yeah. nobody's like, asking and he's not him the type that. who's going to write his autobiography or something, right? right? Yeah, right. And and but here he is, this pivotal hip hop character. Who's, I mean, fucking started being a DJ when he was twelve. Yeah, exactly. You know, the uh, the other ingenious thing about it is that you found the guy who does have so many distinctive phases yeah. of a career that yeah. you could rightfully separate each of them into like, an episode. Exactly. You know? So like, whereas there's some people who would be great conversationalists and they've done great things. They might've only done yeah. one rap group or had you right. know, one solo career where he's had so many different projects that yeah, like it was each one was enough to warrant a different episode, which was very helpful. Yeah. By the end, I think it's clear that you guys had a much more solid rapport. So after the the first couple episodes, does he start to really get it of like, oh, now I understand this and now I'll be more open and frank or? I think okay, we did it in three in three phases. So we did the pilot first. Then we taped a bunch of episodes here in L.A. Yeah. Then we taped a bunch of episodes in New York. Uh-huh. And. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know if. I don't know what curve I don't know where the curve came from. Yeah. Um, and that was so that as a listener who and I mean somebody who like really listens to podcasts and, and has done a bunch. I was going like, oh, yeah, you could tell they did this one first or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, could, you could feel by, the, by, by how the references you could feel the, yeah, well, And you could feel the relationship changing, too. Yeah. I felt like like the inside jokes and shit. You know? yeah. 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 And I think, you know, I think a lot of it was me getting comfortable. Oh, yeah. Were you still like a little. Oh, you, my God. You're not somebody still, who starstruck. Really. Absolutely. When it, but specifically with people like that, I would say that for the people who are in that category. Yeah. I have to be careful because, like, I don't want to fucking make them feel weird. Because you just have, like, the entirety of their catalog memorized. I have so and... many questions. You yeah, know what I'm saying? And I, yeah. I want to pick apart so many little things. But, yeah. like, I have to pull some things back as to you. not be too, you know, over-invasive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're finished with those marathon interview sessions, I mean, did you just have a feeling like, oh, this is it? These are great? Yeah. I, well, see, okay. So part of the, this is a, a monkey wrench that got thrown into it a little bit. Was that everything was taped? Uh, we had done the last of the taping, I want to say, in like November 2019 or something like that. Uh-huh. I was getting cuts of the episodes the week of. Oh, well, as you're putting them out, yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes! So I, I had all the raws, yeah, and I was like, I was loving all the raws, but I was on pins and needles every week. 
getting the edits back and trying to turn around notes and uh, so I, I wasn't as you weren't getting to enjoy it no yeah not like that yeah because I, I i was i was in a position where like you know we our shows went up on wednesday sometimes i wouldn't hear the first edit of a show till like monday night scary yeah yeah is the timeline sort of like okay we record this pilot episode pitch it doesn't get picked up and then boom mike eagle decides to start a podcast network and then record the rest or is it like fuck it we don't care that the pilot didn't get picked up we're gonna record the rest anyway and then you figure out how to put them out um i i had to get the network in place first because there was some costs in recording the podcast that i yeah. needed to do, make sure i had some funding from from somewhere so i had been in talks with starburns about doing like an imprint under them for mm-hmm. a while anyway mm. and when that experience happened it was like oh clearly this is my opportunity because now I have a flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I took it back to Starburns and they were completely down. Oh yeah. Sick. How great was the fucking wave you're writing as those are coming out though? I mean like, dude, the internet was going nuts. Uh, it was good. I was, hmm. I still had a lot of anxiety about the album. Yeah. Because that was done to make it where like right when those ended, I could start my campaign, kind of. Mm, yeah. But the camp, like, I was having a lot of issues getting that together. The the assets, the video, like, you know, the PR, like, everything lining up. And there's a lot of a lot of it's to do with pandemic shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, but because of that, like, I was loving it. And I, and I, and I was, like, overwhelmed. Because I, you know, you got something you know is going to go well. But then the kind of people who I would see. Dude, the people tweeting about yeah, the podcast yes, were, yes. that was insane. Yes, and like, and I'd never expected that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so like- Like you had legends tweeting about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and then I would see too that like, I would, you know, tag people, some people who they who Paul talked about in the episodes yeah. in it, and they would big it up or they'd start following me or start following the network. Yeah. Like, oh shit, like this could really be something yeah you know yeah i mean that's gotta be an amazing feeling yeah absolutely I'm, and i'm 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 deep into taping season two now i hope it's rizza i don't know if it is but I, I hope I, it, it ain't but <laughs> i wish it was <laughs> but not but also the person who it is is fucking awesome yeah so. i'm excited for season two yeah congrats on that but also good segue into bringing it back to the album consummate professional you are <laughs> um as far as the assets go i was really impressed in watching it on my phone and seeing that every song has like an animated video for it or something like a, a oh, loop on spotify how do you do what, what's that all about that's like some new fandangled shit um on spotify now there's these things called canvases i noticed when i put my ep out in 2018 that you had the at that time they only let you do it on one song oh yeah now i think they let you do it on all the songs if if you're willing to go in there and actually do it yeah wow wow that's sick uh do you do that in the spotify app now i'm just so in the spotify for artists oh okay well so i'm gonna go do that to one of my records then fuck it uh just all porn it's gonna be all <laughs> porn loops it's in the funny because some of the shit like sometimes they'll they would reject one yeah and i wouldn't know why but you know and they're like oh I see, it looks like a dick i see it <laughs> that's what it is well so now i don't know the record's out yes out yeah life is different how long has life been different for you uh because i think everybody's coming to terms with the fact that your life is different publicly now since the album came out everybody's uh. like oh like to keep it a hundred the the album title was the first time I was positive that you had gotten divorced. It's part of the reason why I had to do that. Yeah. Because, like, I have met a lot of people in my life that I do not want to have that conversation Yeah, with. yeah, totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't want to do a weird 
Twitter post or Instagram. Nah. Like I don't want to do none of that shit. Yeah. Like, so that was part of the thing. You and made so, the announcement. Yeah. And 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 when I talk about I I talked about anxiety around the album, like it's just assets, but that wasn't it. Yeah. It's also that part where like I knew full well the truth's coming out. Yeah. And and I'm I have to be the one to drive it. I have to be ready for like whatever comes from that. Yeah. You know, like I had to have conversation, you know, I had to have a conversation with Tiff about like Yeah. Remember how I said I was going to call my album this? Yeah, I really did that. Yeah. So you should be prepared that yeah. now people are going to know, you know, people who who we don't know personally, yeah. you know, and and you know, and and my son, yeah, who was actively on Spotify and he's on the album like yeah. You know, Kill, I, killing it. He, yeah, he he did his thing. You got to work on his crutch. He says crazy a lot in his yeah. raps. You got to tell him, hey, look, well, I'm for Project Blowed. We don't have crutches, all right? No, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, well, that's the thing is, like you said, you always have these secrets that you're having to keep uh, until the art comes out. And so now that that secret is out, does it feel a little like a weight off of your shoulders or is it, or did the weight get heavier? Cause now everybody knows. Well, you know that the part of the, the complication of tying it to a product yeah. is that like, I don't get that straight, that straight relief mm. because I'm also like, Oh, uh, uh, Fantano can give it a good review. So I'm a little, I'm in my feeling, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's like, I, I made it so where I can't just experience the good part of he, it. He gave you a divorce of four? He did. <laughs> <laughs> he gave it a six, I yeah. think. That's <laughs> fucked up. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's the thing is like I just think about um, that whole idea of a bunch of strangers finding something out that you've already been processing for a year or two. It's just got to be strange, you know? It's odd. It's it's a, it's an odd way to, to live one's life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then having to do a million podcasts where people who maybe you've met once or twice are going like, "So tell me more about your divorce." Yeah, you know, but luckily, luckily people have been pretty, pretty good about it. Like they've been pretty respectful, chill. Yeah, they've been pretty chill. Unlike me, I'm like, what was the settlement like? But I'm no. saying we, you know, but we actually, like, you actually have context. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a whole different conversation yeah, than sure. when I'm talking to whoever, you know. Yeah, man. Well, I, I don't know. I think we did what we came to do. I, I could honestly and obviously talk to you all day. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, obviously, we would probably do for a catch up anyways. I'm sure we'll do another one of these in the future at some point. Uh, but, you know, in the meantime, I just want to tell everybody to go check out Anime Trauma and Divorce. I mean, it's a beautiful record, a real accomplishment and, and a standout amongst a, a, a catalog of standouts. Uh, so congrats Thank on, you, man. on what you accomplished. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I'm just really happy that of uh, out of all the people that we did know who were attacking this with fervor in their 20s that you're one of the ones that kept going at it yeah, you know man. what i'm saying and i'm and i'm very secondhand proud of all your accomplishments I appreciate you know it, what man. i'm saying that said tell the people where to find you online uh twitter at mike underscore eagle yeah. and on instagram at open underscore mike underscore eagle yeah and youtube you got a youtube channel that you're putting yeah, stuff it's out so on? bad but yeah it just search open mike eagle on youtube it'll come up i only got ten thousand subscribers man i'm trying to get my bars up. it's hard youtube's a trash fire now you yeah know. the algorithm just it's... controls all we have four hundred thousand <laughs> subscribers we're not e we're like kicked out of the algorithm our videos do shit now it's terrible only really like, yeah like one out of ten catches on now whereas it used to just be all of them would get the, all the views we'll and... talk we'll talk more offline about yeah, this i have crazy. i have i have theories oh also shout <laughs> 
shout out to Quarantine Drive Time Radio. Thank I, you, man. I meant to ask you about that too, but fuck it, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time about your when, when it's part of your legacy as well. But that's a cool little community that you've it started. Is. It I really, it really is. Have no that's idea the, how you do that every day. That I, seems... I, I haven't done it every day in a while. I was doing it every day for a long time, Jeez. and I completely ran out of energy when the album came out. That was like so much work. It seemed like yeah, but it was it was it was a good. It was just something good to hang my hat on every day. You're like a you're like a real ass DJ now too. Well, yeah, I do a little something. Yeah, I said new Negroes though. I oh had to yeah, do, you know I had to. I was doing a lot of that in a live show. Yeah, I was. I, I tuned in for a few, and I was like, wow, this guy's like really just DJing. Like, holy <laughs> shit. Anyway, diversify those bars. That's what you're doing. Yeah, um, so yeah, go find Open Mike Eagle on Twitter, Instagram, Peep is YouTube. Follow him. Watch Quarantine Drive Time Radio when it is up and running now you know once once in a while i guess mm-hmm. my name is lee some of you guys might know me as intuition you can follow me online at it's intuition you can follow us as a unit at kind of neat on twitter and instagram but particularly go hit that instagram please i'm trying to catch up with mike youtube.com where you're going to see mike perform a song that is called airplane boneyard he's oh, that's a good one he's going to perform airplane boneyard and uh that said i'm lee that was mike and this is kind of neat.